is Monday, December 11th, 2017. Time for the 38th and final Barnhart Podcast. What? What? What you talking about, super nerd? <laughs> Every time we try to commit to doing two or three episodes a week, uh, something always goes wrong. And uh, in, in the case of uh, the most recent two-week gap, uh, you ended up getting quite sick. And uh, so that delayed things a little bit. And then uh, we were going to record last week, and then all of a sudden the website was under attack. So that that was a new um, kettle of fish to deal with. So yeah, that, that's probably the biggest uh, interruption in the last several days is the uh, distributed denial of service attack that happened on the website. Should we start off talking about that? I think we should be, and I'm glad, you know, after the fact, always it's, it's hellish while it's happening, obviously, and more so for you than for me, because all I do is, you know, respond with thumbs up or sounds good or okay on all of these messages that you're sending me, um, explaining to me what's going on. But after the fact, I'm glad that these things happen to me, to us now, super nerd, because um, then we can go out and we can tell all of the other people out there, the other bloggers, the other people who have presence on the Internet, look, this is what they're doing. This is how they're going to come after you. These are the steps that you need to take. So I'm just going to let Super Nerd, obviously, because he's the expert on all this and he's the one who dealt with all of it, explain what happened, explain what a a denial of service attack is, and then just kind of fill all of us in as to where we're going from here without giving away any tactical secrets. So take it, Super Nerd. Okay, imagine you walk into a department store and you're talking to a customer and while you are trying to have a conversation with this person, 17 other people show up and start shouting. You can't have a conversation with the with the the person that who was helping you a moment ago. Right. What yeah. happens with a a denial of service attack is that a fleet of computers around the internet, typically these are computers that have been attacked or virused in one way or another, uh, typically referred to as a botnet. They all send traffic at one particular uh, website or address. And the whole idea is to inundate the web server with so much traffic that either the website crashes because it cannot handle the load, it exceeds memory, or it just crashes, uh, which applications do from time to time. Or in, in the case of what happened to your website is that it was causing such a massive slowdown on the web hosting's uh, server that the administrators got an alarm, looked at it, and said, okay, you're taking way too much traffic, way too much memory, we're going to disable your website. Now, granted, they sent an email right away to let, let me know what happened, but it, it took a little while to find out what the nature of it was. I thought that there was something with, with the, um, the WordPress install, and it turns out, no, it was just being hammered from a, a, a range of IP addresses. So somebody didn't, doesn't like either you or I, – I made the joke on the blog that either you, you were the winner of the Who Do We Want to DDoS Today random selection – or mm. <laughs> you were targeted on purpose. And one of the emailers uh, emailed in and said, I think it was a fleet of Novus Ordo Parish computers that were specifically targeting you. Well, who knows? I, 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 didn't, I didn't go through the logs to figure out, out uh, who, exactly, um, who exactly owns the IP addresses or has the IP addresses that, that we're attacking. But the, I blame Paul VI, or at least Android Paul VI. I just <laughs> want to say Paul that. Android Paul VI. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not familiar with Android Paul VI. Oh, yeah, totally. Because, um, you know, there were pictures taken in the 70s of Android Paul VI, and they got his ears all wrong. So uh, Paul VI was either dead or held in a prison somewhere, much like Pope Benedict XVI is currently being held in a prison in the Vatican. (laughs) But I digress. But I digress. And they they uh, instead deployed an android. This is your conspiracy theory of the day, super nerd. Um, what would you do without me? 
Well, it reminds me a lot of the two Obamas theory. The idea that there were two um, Obamas. One was a, a body double of, actually, we don't know which one was, was legitimate or if any of them were, but one had mm, more gray mm. hair and the other one was had Was there any Obama at all? Maybe that's why he couldn't produce a, a birth certificate because he never existed. Uh, maybe we would have found out they were identical twins. Mm, mm, oh, that too. That too. Good point. Maybe the original birth certificate had Frank Marshall's name on it. Oh, that too. That oh, the, too. The point, the mm-hmm. point being that there, there were, uh, you know, some people believe there were two Obamas. One had more gray hair than the other one. One had less spots on the face than the other one. And, and uh, it was weird. One would talk sports and the other one would talk policy. Uh, but anyway, getting back to, to what was going on here. What, uh, basically, one was gay. One was also gay. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> there were, in, in terms of who exactly perpetrated the attack and what their motivations were, we have no idea. Um, but you, you, can, you can make educated guesses, but you know this is this is one of these things that online there are some semi-random attacks that happen just to harass people. And um, uh, long long and short of it is that we implemented a a traffic management scheme. So when you request Ann's website, you, rather than going directly to the hosting provider to get the the um, the, the content from the website, you're now going through a third party service that uh, has the ability of detecting a, a denial of service attack and, and dropping those requests and not sending them on. So that's, uh, I, I'm trying not to get too far into the weeds here, but uh, at least uh, the ability to get the website back up and, and responding and functioning. I think we're there right now. Uh, it's, it's not the end of the story. As far as I'm concerned, I, I think we need to start working. I, I think I need to start working on a plan C and, and you and I've been talking about this. Um, mm-hmm. Whether whether it's a, a different kind of hosting platform entirely. In fact, I was I was really looking at trying to do something that wasn't uh, like WordPress, where it's dynamically building the page every time you request it. I, I liked the idea of a of a uh, static site generator, which again I'm, I'm talking geek here, but it turns out this attack wouldn't have mattered because they were the attack was actually going after image files, so it wasn't dealing with the uh, the the script interpretation process. So all all you people who are uh, semi super nerds or system administrators know exactly what I just said. But the point is, I'm now confused what the right way to go forward is. But I'm I'm looking at three or four different options, and uh, some very kind folks have also emailed and said, hey, if you need uh, more money for web hosting uh, or mitigation or fixing so this doesn't uh, happen again, let me know, and I will be contacting you folks. I just don't want to commit to saying, hey, can you supply this much per month until I know precisely the right way to go with this, and I'm learning a lot. I'm a, I'm a programmer. That's my my primary skill, and so programming the brains out of the, the, the website portion of this, that, that's where I'm really the best, and so when, when the attack came in, I knew what a distributed denial of service attack is, or DDoS as it's typically called, but I've never really studied enough about the infrastructure to say, okay, your site's under DDoS. How do you stop it? So I learned enough about that to make, make, the, make the bad man stop for the time being. And if the attack starts again, there's a level of, of um, urgency I can kick up with that third-party intermediary where you might get a, a screen pop-up saying, we're checking to see if you're really a real browser or not. Uh, so if you see that, it just means the site's under attack again, and then you'll wait a couple seconds, and then you'll get through. So the point is, the site's back up. It's working and's healthy and Yay. we're all available so we can do a podcast again. Oh, oh, and before before we leave this topic, tell the good folks how much that third party service costs. Oh, free. Yay. Absolutely absolutely free. Now granted, there there is uh the, the web hosting provider we're currently using has a, a um partnership deal with, with the this third party with, with the denial of service prevention people. And I'm being vague here. I don't want to give names because in the past there are people who stalk Anne 
and try to take down her websites or whatnot. So if I give names to services, they're just going to start uh, annoying the people who answer the 1-800 numbers or their emails. So that's why I'm, I'm being evasive. If you want to actually learn how to protect your site in, th- in this regard, just email me through the website, uh, podcast at barnhart.biz or email at supernerdmedia.com and I'll tell you all the names on this. But um, th- yeah, there's, there's the free service tier that we're using right now. There is a paid service tier, which somebody immediately said, I'll pay the $20 a month for it. And I, I said, well, hold off on that. I don't know that it actually gives me any features that would make any difference for what we're doing. But like I said, I'm, I'm looking at some ways to, to make this more resilient and um, able to either be harder to attack or easier to recover from attack. So there's def- definitely a lot of work going on in there. And uh, if you have your theories about who's, who's, uh, who was behind the attack, somebody on, on Facebook said, it was the Jews. I don't think they hate Anne that much. Uh, no. <laughs> no, no, it's it's um it's probably sex perverts. It's probably um militant homosexualists and their and their hangers on their their clack. I suspect that's what it is. If I ha- let me put it this way, if I had to lay money, you know, and bet, okay, what general category header would this fall under? It's almost certainly going to be your sex perverts because they're the angriest ones, you know. And you know, being a sex pervert or being um, being someone who's just completely, totally, always surrounded by sex perverts and is fully on board with the sex per- pervert agenda milieu social construct, whatever you want to call it. These are some extraordinarily bitter, nasty, angry people. And they will tolerate no criticism of um, either themselves or their their sex perverts that they're attached to. So if I had to bet, I I bet it has something to do with that. And that's a group of people who definitely, from their point of view, keep a list of who they think are naughty and nice, which gets into another topic we wanted to cover since it is Advent and um, there is a in the United States a character running around by the name of Santa Claus, I'm just going to back off and let you talk about this, Anne. Well, you know, I have this Santa Claus rant, and um, I can't remember. I think I must have over the years at some point. I must have written this, but I want to. I just want to go over it again because it's. I, I just think it's so incredibly important, and a lot of people um, poo-poo my position and say that I'm too much of a rigorist or, or whatever you want to call it. That's fine, but I. But I think maybe as 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 the situation just degenerates more and more and more in our culture. Maybe more and more people will be able to see why this matters. Now, in terms of Santa Claus, Santa Claus is, of course, the um, what is it? Dutch, the 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 Dutch um, form of Saint Nicholas, whose well, feast was on ar- the sixth. There's argument about that, and I'll, I'll get back to that in a minute. Okay, okay, but f- for now, we'll we'll say that Santa Claus is Saint Nicholas. And if you want to tell your kids about St. Nicholas and, you know, celebrate the Feast of St. Nicholas on the 6th, and yes, St. Nicholas did, he did give gifts, and he did, um, he was a bishop. He was a bishop of Myra in Turkey, and he performed many, many miracles. But one of the things that he also did uh, that he's just renowned for is that he would do tremendous acts of charity to help out members of his flock. He was the bishop. He was their father. And so he was taking care of his own. Okay. So he did all kinds of wonderful things. He he paid dowries for girls um, to keep them from ending up destitute or in some horrible situation, things like that, you know, acts of almsgiving charity, a loving father, a loving bishop taking care of his flock, which for all of us today is almost like 
it's almost like it's the a butt of a joke. I mean, you can't, you can't, yeah, it's a fairy tale. You can't even imagine what it must be like to have a bishop who actually cares about you and, and cares about your soul because there are so few of them now. And the, there was a write-up in the Dominican Journal about St. Nicholas and, and the importance of giving charity to strangers. And the only, the only fault I, I find with that article, and it really pains me to, to um, I'm not, am I really qualified to, to pick nits with, with Dominicans? Um, but, but, uh, the, the idea of, of using St. Nicholas as an example of charity towards strangers. No, he, he was a Bishop. He was ta- he was watching out for his own flock. I'm sure he would, yeah. I'm sure he would have been very generous to strangers as well, but he, he was taking care of his, of his flock, his, his charge. So the, the whole idea of charity starts at home when you are the Bishop, that's your entire diocese. So I'm not saying that St. Nicholas would not have been generous to people outside of his diocese, but he probably as a good Bishop. Uh, didn't go outside of his diocese because he wanted to make sure that uh, he was keeping things un- under control and, and on track uh, in his area of responsibility. And I, I jumped in talking about Santa Claus because this is something my wife and I were, were talking about, um, mentioning uh, that, that you were going to be doing a, a uh, discussion about this. And the whole idea of, well, who is Santa Claus? Is it St. Nicholas? Is it Santa Claus? Uh, and who exactly are these characters? And when you talk about um, in, in Holland, the, the character Santa Claus it, it can either be understood as a, uh, a degrading of the form of the name uh, Nicholas down to Klaus, or mm-hmm. it could be a reference to the, to the Norse uh, character Santa Claus, which is more of a, a demon type character. And nice. in, the United, huh. in the United States, the caricature we have of Santa Claus is actually a, a combination and a mishmash of St. Nicholas, Santa Claus, either the Dutch version, which is, is nominally Catholic or at least just charitable, or the Norse version, which which uh, is loosely associated with the Grim Reaper at Yuletide, uh, it could, yeah. it, there's also influences of Woden from from uh, other Norse and Germanic uh, godheads, and also the British Father Christmas. So in the United States, North America, Santa Claus, you're seeing a composite of four or five different people: one who happens mm-hmm. to be a saint, and the rest of them are demons. I have to say, even in my childhood, I'm born in 76 and I'm raised in a in an extremely liberal, basically non-believing Protestant household as a small child. I remember, though, even as a child, having a perception and and hearing the term St. Nicholas. And there's a there's a song, Jolly Old St. Nicholas linear this way don't you tell a single soul what i'm going to say we would sing that as children so there was for me an awareness of saint nicholas now here's my big rant and here here's the issue with all of this i think that it is horrible and a terrible terrible mistake on the part of parents to lie to your children and tell them that Santa Claus, St. Nicholas, whoever, is sneaking into the house at night and is leaving them these presents and go through this elaborate series of lies, basically. And and, and I'll explain this. You say, well, Anne, don't be a stick in the mud. Um, you're, you're, you're just, you're blowing it all out of proportion. It's an innocent little thing. It's fun for the kids. Well, it's fun for the kids while they're believing the lie. But think about it. For for a little kid, especially a little kid in the West, even, even the post-Christian West as it is now, Christmas is like the biggest deal of the year. And it's certainly the biggest deal of the year vis-a-vis the church. It's, it's the biggest religious thing of the year. 
So you are telling your children just outright lies. You are lying to their faces and you are telling them that, no, I didn't buy these presents. No, I didn't put these presents under the tree last night. This this man, Santa Claus, St. Nicholas, however you want to however he is is portrayed this this person snuck into the house he brought the gifts he put them under the tree blah 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 um and and uh, obviously children all believe this and done uh, and it's magical and blah 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 now fl- flash forward the kids get to be eight uh, what's the average age probably eight nine years old and um they realize or they are told or they have it explained to them that the whole Santa Claus thing every Christmas, the the biggest holiday of the year for them, one of the most uh, profoundly meaningful, memorable experiences and certainly the biggest deal with regards to the church in their little lives has all been a complete lie. Now, why wouldn't the children look at that and say, okay, my parents have been lying to me about Santa Claus all this time. It's fake. It's totally, totally, totally fake. It was my parents all along. There's no, nobody sneaking in with presents. All, all of that was a lie. Is Jesus a lie? When my parents tell me that there was this man named Jesus and he's the son of God is that's a lie too then. Right. And then take it to the next step. Now, obviously I wasn't raised Catholic, not by a long shot, but children in that age are being catechized certainly, or should be in the process of being catechized about the Eucharist, about the real presence. Is that a lie? Because the Eucharist is much more on the surface, is much more far-fetched and more, and more difficult to believe than the, the story, quote-unquote, of Santa Claus coming and leaving the presents at Christmas. Um, so you're simultaneously, at the age of eight or nine or whatever it is, telling kids you've been lying to them about the biggest Christian holiday of the year for them, culturally. But at the same time, no, I'm not lying to you about Jesus, and no, I'm not lying to you about the Eucharist. The Eucharist, that, that piece of bread, when we go to Mass— that piece of bread actually has stopped being a piece of bread and is now turned into the physical substance of God. Yes, I was totally, totally lying to you all along about Santa Claus, but no, I'm not lying to you about this. I'm sorry, but this is, this is just not wise. And it seems to me that it should be common sense that people shouldn't do this because it's lying. And, and that's all there is to it, folks. If you tell your kids something that is not true, that is a lie. You can have Christmas without lying to your children. In fact, it will be better because you can celebrate St. Nicholas on the 6th of December. And then 
you can you can go on and you can have Christmas and you can be honest and you can have images of St. Nicholas around your house and so forth. So everybody's participating in in, the you know, the cultural thing and all of that. They're not going to be missing out on any of that. But you don't have to lie to your kids. And why would you? It seems to me and I don't know, I was I was sentient very early on as a child and I, 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 why, why would I want to be lied to? Why would I want adults to lie to me? Um, what a feeling of, of di- fundamental disrespect. And it, it, at, the, at the end of the day, it really is an act of disrespect to lie to somebody. You really don't ever have to lie to somebody. Um, with children, for example, if they ask you about something and they're too young to hear about it, for example, you can tell them the truth that they are too young to hear about it. And then if I if I explain this to you right now, it will it will give you bad dreams. It will frighten you. Um, I'll, let's wait until you're 13 or 14 years old and then I'll explain it to you. But right now it's too scary for you. And so I'm not going to tell you. I'm just going to tell you that that it's okay, you're safe, and I'll protect you from this. And when the time is right, I'll explain it all to you. Why can't you just treat kids with a modicum of respect and then not have them basically turn against you when they, the second they become teenagers? I mean, and I don't know, maybe I'm, I am making too big of a deal of it, but maybe I'm not. That one of the reasons that children in this contemporary day and age do tend to just massively rebel against their parents is precisely because when they hit that, that age of teenager or right before, you know, preteen, that is just kind of the sweet spot when they start realizing how much their parents have been lying to them. And, and treating them with a sense of, of, of a very fundamental sort of disrespect. Now, I'm not, I'm not a parent. I'm going to – super nerd is a parent of, of preteen children and, you know, younger than that, all the way down to, you know, little bitty kids. You, you now rebut. If you have anything to say against what I just said and make your case as a parent, which I am not – I'm I'm all for it. I don't think it's just Santa Claus by itself. I mean, certainly, mm-hmm. certainly, I would say it depends upon the child. I mean, there are going to be some children who, once they realize they've been lied to, they could be devastated by that. And it's something where it's one of those things as a parent, you've got to be aware of the temperament of your child and how they perceive and understand things. I mean, I've got some kids that you give them a harsh look and that's does a lot more to get through to them than anything else, taking away treats or playtime or anything like that, because it's like, oh, mm-hmm. whatever, put it on my tab. Uh, but but some of them, it, it, you know, it, it, the melancholics, for example, you, you just give them a minor harsh word and that's enough to correct them. Saying mm-hmm. ones are difficult. But uh, in, in terms of acclimating children to lying, it's not just Santa Claus. It, it's, it's, it's not just the one thing. So we, it's common in American society to, to talk about Santa Claus, the tooth fairy, the Easter mm-hmm. bunny, politicians who care about you. I mean, any number of things that are complete lies and eventually you figure it out. And then then it's not just the one thing. It's a complete pattern at that point. And it's like, okay. Everything I've been told that was supposed to be true, I'm not going to believe this. I'm going to be my own judge of everything now. And this doesn't right. stop at just the things your parents were told. It's everything you learned about government. It's everything you learned about science. It's everything you learned about religion. I will be my own judge now. And yeah. that that's something that is certainly rampant. You know, that the I think skepticism is a, is a is a growing thing now because 
you know, there's too much mendacity going around. And 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 why lie about some of these things uh, like Santa Claus? I mean, what, yeah. to, to flip it around the other way, what's the benefit of, of perpetuating this myth? Is it fun? Sure. But is it something where you would need to, uh, what, what's, what's wrong with, with celebrating St. Nicholas Day um, and putting some gifts in the shoes and explaining this, the significance of who was St. Nicholas? Where does this custom come from? Um, and then, of course, the other thing too the this, the the Christmas uh, delivery of gifts that Saint Nicholas does, which looks looks or that that Santa Claus does, according to the mythology, it, it's a lot like breaking and entering, but you're depositing as Indeed. opposed to leaving, as opposed to a a more Christian um, example of gift giving, which is one month after Saint Nicholas Day on the Epiphany, when the wise men showed up, you know, when they were expected, not in the middle of the night necessarily, and with the permission and knowledge of Saint Joseph and and Mary. And presented their gifts. And not only is that a more liturgically significant day on which to exchange gifts with the with each other, but this is the one time as as Catholics or good Christians, we can actually strike back and say, I'm gonna wait till December twenty sixth when everything goes on sale and I'm gonna buy my gifts then because I'm not giving gifts until the December sixth or, or January sixth. Ah. So we we this is like our one chance to actually get back. That's <laughs> um, right. So economically there's, there's get back. There's, well an economic, there's an economic incentive there, but also it, it you know, the, one of the one of the spirits of Christmas is poverty. You know, the the Son of God born in a stable, um, a, a cattle pen, um, in 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 the middle of the night and cold. I mean, there there's a lot to contemplate on this, and part of it is the poverty. And if you're exchanging gifts and and having a, a whole carrying on, you're gonna just the, just the noise of of the season is going to drown out this simple you know reality. You know something else this time of year is is getting Christmas trees and decorating them. There's nothing wrong with getting a Christmas tree during Advent. There's nothing wrong with decorating it personally. You do whatever you want. What I do in my house is between now and Christmas Eve, we'll have a tree and we'll have a single red ball ornament on there. And it's a reminder of what started this whole mess. It was the mm-hmm. apple in the Garden of Eden. That's why traditionally red ball ornaments are used on Christmas trees. And again, as is me, my, my own peculiarity, I, I like to use only white lights on, on my Christmas tree because what, it, what are we celebrating? What are, what's, what's the mystical significance of this time of year? It's Christ coming into the world, the light into the darkness, overcoming mm-hmm. the original fault. And so and that's why it has to be an angel on the top of the tree, not a star. I mean, it was the angel who brought the, 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 the good tiding. There's an entire deep, rich significance you can build around this. And by not having the distraction of giving gifts and exchanging gifts from December 25th through uh, January 5th, you can really lock into what is the significance of these 12 days of Christmas. And then at the, at the conclusion of, of those 12 days, exchange gifts all you want. That's my personal take on it. Y'all can do what you want with it. But um, I, it, it coincides nicely with, 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 with Anne's rant against uh, Santa Claus. Uh, understand who St. Nicholas is, he, the, the one... Uh, non-demonic, non-fictional element that that um, contributes toward in North America what we understand Santa Claus to be, and then understand the 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 supernatural and spiritual significance of what we receive what we are receiving at Christmas, and concentrate on that, and then do your gift exchange on January sixth. I think that's and the best cor- way to go. Cor- exactly, January sixth Epiphany in Europe up until just not too terribly long ago. And and this the the movement away from Epiphany as the major holiday um, 
it came purely as a result of the commercialization of Christmas by the American culture. Up until not too terribly long ago, Epiphany was the super big holiday in Europe, especially in Southern Europe. And, I want to you know, say in, that in, in, several, in, in several of the European countries, and I want to say Canada even, uh, the Epiph- Epiphany is actually a holy day of obligation. But I was just going to bring this up. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure that at least in the U.S., in no, in Nova Sordo land, that Epiphany is pushed is pushed to a Sunday, isn't it? Is it pushed to the closest Sunday? I don't I even think no the sixth of January is a holy day of obligation anymore. Well, it's and never it's never been a holy day of obligation in the United States. Really? As far as I know. Good heavens! Wow. Usually, I, I want to do more research than just going in my memory, but I'm pretty sure it's never been a, a holy well, day of like obligation the, in the United the States. First, the first is a holy day of obligation. Right, but that's not the epiphany. Um, that's not the epiphany. Um, yeah, I think epiphany is pushed to um, is pushed to Sunday. I think that's part and of that, that new trend where everything is, is the external solemnity and you just push external it to the, solemnity, to the closest yep. uh, Sunday. I personally don't like that, but... Because going to mass is hard. I mean, you have to like get in your climate controlled car and drive like 20 minutes and like go to mass. It's just, it's just completely unreasonable, super nerd, completely unreasonable. Thank goodness we now have all of these wonderful, heretic, apostate, diabolical, narcissist bishops to keep us all from having to go to mass on a day that isn't Sunday. But let's be honest, most of us don't go to mass on Sunday either, do we? Whatever, whatever. But, you know, ugh. so that's kind of my rant. And, and I'm reminded when it comes to lying to kids, I'm reminded of a piece I, I read, um, it's got to be over a year ago now, by Peter Kwasniewski, and he made the brilliant, brilliant point about how when you lie to someone, what that does is it just chips, chips, chips away at faith. It chips away at their ability to have faith in anything. This is why, for example, in Musloid cultures, which, you know, the immediately the satanic Musloid political system masquerading as a religion codified in itself that its deity, quote unquote, Allah, is the greatest liar, the greatest deceiver, and it codified immediately in its manifesto, in its law, in its political system, that not only is lying not prohibited, but that it is specifically ratified and condoned. It's told, the two concepts of lying are called tekiya, which I think most people listening to this by now have already heard of tekiya. That, and that means lying to infidels in order to advance um, advance the, the caliphate, advance the, the Musloid political system throughout the world. And then there's another concept called kithman, K-I-T-H-M-A-N, and that means that Musloids can lie to each other. And if you've ever traveled in a Musloid culture or country and, say, for example, gone to the mar- gone into the public square, into the public market or anything, everything, everything is based on lying. Yeah, I think everything I, I, I is a lie. I remember we talked about this once before and they used the example yeah. from the movie Casablanca of the of the uh, bartering in the street. Oh, for very, very good friends of Rick, two francs. 
<laughs> exactly. Um, so it, that's why even to this day, as far gone as Christian culture, the Christian West is, there's still enough of a tie to Christianity and to Christian culture that people still to this day, um, and it's it's less so with the young people, obviously, because they're just they're all into diabolical narcissism and they are they're completely post-Christian. But, you know, people my age, middle age, older than that, still completely operating on a day to day premise that when you meet someone on the street, whether you know them or whether they're complete strangers, that what they say to you is the truth. Everybody in Christian culture is still operating on the premise that that what someone says to you is the truth. And this is why people just keep getting, you know, raked over the coals again, again, again and again by Musloids, by these Marxists, um, because they, they just they cannot believe that people will just look them in the eye and lie right to their faces. And so they just keep getting rolled over and over and over again. Now, this is not to say, and this is the tricky part, this is not to say that we should all become like these evil people and and operate on a on a premise of just mendacity all the time. But what it does say is, you know, what our Lord said, be wise as serpents, be wise as serpents, gentle as doves. You have to understand what's going on and you have to be smart enough to realize when you have a certain group of people um, and you identify them as being post-Christian, diabolically narcissistic, if that's in play, um, so on and so forth, fundamentally untrustworthy, you have to start operating from the base premise that there is a very, very good possibility that what these people are saying to us is lies, that they're looking us right in the eye and they're lying to us. And again, it chips away and chips away and chips away at people's faith which is I'm convinced why our Lord said in the Gospels, when I return, will I find it? Will I find any faith? And if these are in fact the run up to the end times, and you know it gets the it gets fast faster and and more terrible the closer you get to the end. And obviously we're on a para, we're on a parabolic uh, trajectory here in terms of our culture just falling apart. Um. When our Lord asks the question, will I find any faith? I think we see that happening all around us right now. People are realizing that just they're being lied to constantly, all the time. Everything's a lie. You have to be on board with the lie. Nothing is trustworthy. Nothing is permanent. And so what that does, as Professor Kwasniewski pointed out, is that it just erodes away at people's capacity to have any sort of faith. And ultimately what that leads to is they're incapable of having any faith in God, his holy church, the papacy. And I have a whole huge, massive essay coming hopefully tomorrow on that. Um, you know, it, it, it ties into the fact how um, all of the lying in this culture and specifically the lies in terms of the attack and breakdown of marriage and the family, that people, basically people now in the post-Christian West, are completely incapable of believing that there is anything permanent, that there's anything trustworthy, including the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ himself, when he says, on this rock I will build my church. 
um, they're now even the trattiest of trad Catholics, but middle-aged people, because they've, they've just been lied to their whole lives, they've seen the impermanence of marriage, they've seen the impermanence of family, um, both their parents in their own personal lives, and now, you know, the lives of their children, their siblings, so on and so forth. It's, it's just now taken for granted that you can't trust anything anyone says to you. You can't have faith in anything anyone says to you. And now what's happening is that that complete erosion in faith, which springs out of marriage and the family and that whole paradigm in our culture, is now coming to bear on the papacy itself. People are looking at anti-Pope Bergoglio, swearing up and down, oh, yes, he's totally the Pope. The reason why all this is happening is because, you know, you just, when Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church, and now paraphrasing, look, you can trust, you can, I'm going to set up my, my church. It is a supernatural and yet also earthly and visible institution and organization, but also supernatural. And at the head of this supernatural body, which is also visible, I am going to, and this is a one-time deal, folks, I'm going to put one man in charge as, as the successor of Peter, and I will provide a supernatural negative protection for him, and you can trust, you can trust now these people are looking at anti-Pope Bergoglio, desperate to, you know, fit in with everybody else and say, oh, yes, he's the Pope, and not being able to process the fact that as, as this man, anti-Pope Bergoglio, everything he says and does on a near-daily basis points to the fact that he's not the vicar of Christ. And they're all justifying this and saying this by, oh, well, you know, the papacy, infallibility, supernatural protection, uh that that clearly was all wrong to start with. We had it all wrong. Um, so that means that, yeah, he's the Pope, but he can also rape and murder um, or rape and bring into a coma beating um, the bride of Christ. And that totally comports with everything because, you know what, my parents broke up. Everybody's lied to me. Every lover I've ever had in my life has betrayed me and left me, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Take all of these cultural pathologies that revolve around marriage, the family, so on and so forth. Map that onto Bergoglio. And I'm absolutely convinced that that is the reason why these people cannot get it through their heads, that even though every single ounce of evidence is clearly pointing to the fact that Bergoglio isn't the Pope, you have to have that that faith, that faith in the supernatural protection provided by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And what it speaks to is faith that he will not lie to you. And here's where we kind of tie it back in with Santa Claus. He doesn't lie. Yeah, your parents might have lied to you. They might have lied to you about Santa Claus. They might have even lied to you about the fact that they loved you. There's a hell of a lot of people running around my age, a little older, a little younger, who it is absolutely the truth that their parents did not love them. Many of them, their parents weren't even capable of love. Look at, look at almost all of the little black kids running around in the inner cities. Their fathers don't love them. Their fathers don't give a crap about them. There's Their a lot of people. Their fathers might not even know they're born. 
yeah, a lot of the fathers don't don't know they're born, don't want to know they're born. And by the way, thank you, Democrats in the 1960s for that. We'll talk about that in another podcast. Uh, indeed, indeed. But there, there it all is. So many people have been lied to so much that it's just it's just considered it's de rigueur. It's the way it is. And, you know, if you can't deal with that, then you're just immature and stupid. And with regards to the papacy, then you're just one of these stupid, uneducated, hyper uber, ultra ultra montane papal positivist, blah, blah, blah. And what they try to do is they try to paint people who have any sort of supernatural faith in the supernatural protection afforded to the papacy um, as people who believe in papal impeccability, which is, which is, of course, completely stupid. Papal impeccability is people who, for example, would say the pope cannot say or do anything wrong. He can't make a mistake in mathematics. He can't make a mistake in physics. If he says it, if he if he says it, then it is it's true. Well, of course, that's that's not the case. But that's the way that they try to paint people who do have what what I, I, I won't hesitate to use the term a very simple faith in the fact that Jesus Christ is not a jerk. He actually loves us and he is completely, totally trustworthy. And if he says, I will build my church upon this rock, the Petrine office, upon the successors of Peter, baby, you can take it to the bank. And if you see a man who is called the Pope and and is wearing the papal white, and he's doing and saying things day after day after day, the latest example of which is, well, the very latest example is trying to change the Lord's Prayer, but then the one right before that is publishing as as authentic magisterium. The the, uh, whole notion that people who are shacking up in an adulterous union while they're married to someone else, completely unrepentant of this, can receive Holy Communion. Okay, Um, this is in direct opposition to the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the Gospel, specifically Matthew 19. The fact that this man and theologians all over the world are saying this, what he is doing is literally, literally upsetting the entire notion of objective morality and objective truth. Stop and think about that. He and that's what the, what the dubia, the five questions that were presented to him, have to do directly with that. Is there any such thing as an objective moral norm? Is there any such thing as objective truth? This man is upsetting that. That's why we can say that he is raping and beating into a coma the bride of Christ, and yet. So many people out there are just telling themselves, well, you know what? My parents hated me. My parents lied to me. My parents didn't love me. My parents abandoned me. My spouse abandoned me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, whatever it is, or it might be all of them. You know, there's so many people who have pathologies in basically every level of relationship in their life. Their parents were dysfunctional, hated them, abandoned them, abused them, Um, every marriage, quote unquote, or just, you know, sexual relationship has been completely disordered, um, disordered relationships with their kids, or they have themselves um, thwarted the existence of or even actively murdered their own children through abortion. Every single relationship is completely disordered. And so they are incapable of believing that that even even God himself, even Jesus Christ, 
they they believe that Christ would lie to them too, and you just have to be a grown up and you have to deal with it. Um, terribly, terribly sad. But it kind of ties everything together with the whole lying to your kids about Santa Claus, just fundamental dishonesty, chipping away at people's faith, their capacity for faith, their capacity to believe in anything supernatural. But not to diminish the, I guess, anguish or um, the, the, the trauma, so to speak, that people go through, that, that have been through all of those things you've mentioned, being lied to, mm-hmm. being cheated on, being all these things have happened to them. It's, it's not cool that it, that it happened, to be, to, be, to be fair. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't have to expect to be lied to, cheated, cheated on, etc. But at the same time, there, God never gives us a trial we can't handle. And mm-hmm. uh, there was, years ago, a friend of mine was complaining to me about her week and that uh, how, how everything had gone wrong, this, that, and other thing. I said, shut up and stop bragging, which totally caught her off guard. And mm. I said, look, I have not had any of the problems you've had this week, uh, which tells me that I am not spiritually mature enough this week to deal with it. Clearly, God loves you more than me, so shut up. I don't want to hear it anymore. Just go pray for me to have, to have a better week next week and have more problems like you. And granted, I'm being tongue-in-cheek about it, but <laughs> it, it definitely gave her a different it, it, insight on when it. things go wrong. And and I'm, I don't mean to be flipped to people who have had you know difficult lives. Yes, you you've been given you've been given a grace, honestly, uh, because when when you've been given all of that uh, difficulty, when you rise above it, you know the greatest saints in heaven have had the most um, traumatic, unfair things done to them. Anybody looking at the mother of Jesus. Have any of you ever had anything as unfair done to you as her? I can't if imagine. <laughs> I can't. Claim, I can't imagine having having your having your perfect perfect child, um, you know, tried in a kangaroo court, um, falsely convicted, of, who, falsely convicted of nothing. People who were the legitimate then, head of, of the true religion, by the way, who didn't yep, have the faith. Yeah, sounds that's it's it's a renewable topic. Indeed, indeed. And then have him be tortured and executed in front of you. Uh, n- no, that that's why she's the co-redemptrix. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. So another topic we had lined up, we, we were talking about uh, the the narcissists and uh, people who lie and people who can't be trusted. It, 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 mm. I was jotting down a note here about uh, the, a paraphrase of Orwell in times of universal deceit. Telling the truth is a counter revolutionary act. Uh, the revolutionary the revolution is telling the deceits uh, in in modern society we look to the news media to tell us the well at least tell us what happened um, but uh, what, what's been going on a lot of late is a lot of people have been getting caught up in in um, their their sexual malfeasance coming to coming out and uh, getting caught getting fired and one of the examples that came out recently was Matt Lauer who was a very popular news person on, was it NBC? NBC, ABC? the Today Show in the morning, yeah. I don't know. He, he, he used to be on VH1, so he's like even below VJ. So he, he was somebody who, who had some kind of charisma for something that, that uh, was punching above his weight. But anyway, he got caught doing things, and it was his first offense officially, according to NBC, but we're firing <laughs> anyway, which means they knew darn well that, there, that a lot was going on. But you had a whole uh, discussion, uh, renewing the discussion on the alpha-beta narcissist, narcissist thing as it applies to Matt Lauer or as it applies to Al Franken or any of these other people who are getting caught now and uh, having to resign or get fired. 
Well, the Matt Lauer thing in particular, I watched all that unfold and it's only been like, what, what day is this today? It's coming up on two weeks ago. He was fired on Wednesday. So it will be two weeks ago in a couple of days. Um, now, this is right when I, I'm getting sick or am sick and uh, I'm in bed with a fever, but I'm you know looking at the news and I'm reading this Matt Lauer stuff and I'm like, oh my gosh, if I could just stay awake and had a little bit of energy, I could just go on and on about how this is just an absolute case study in the alpha beta diabolical narcissist dynamics. So if you've watched my diabolical narcissism video, um, and there's an entire timestamp. If you go to the Diabolical Narcissism page, it's pretty close to the top of the page. And then there's all the timestamps of the topics. And I mean, the presentation is almost three hours long. And you, what you want to do if you want to review is watch the timestamp about alpha and beta case of Diabolical Narcissist. Because this Matt Lauer thing is just, dude, it is textbook. So Matt Lauer is a textbook alpha psychopath um, diabolical narcissist. The dude is a rape monster, literally a rape monster, okay? Matt Lauer had installed in his office a button on his desk, you know, under his desk as he's sitting at it. He could push this button and it would lock his office door from both the outside and mo more importantly, from the inside so that he could lock women into his office so that they couldn't get away. And at least one woman came forth and said that he totally did this and he sexually assaulted me in his office. Okay, okay. Now, flash forward to um, two weeks ago, and they, you know, so, some woman comes forward and she, uh, apparently she had either video or photographs or, I mean, she had him nailed to the wall. And there, and the NBC executives knew there was absolutely, clearly there was no way they were getting out of this. They had to fire the guy. Now, they all knew, it comes to light in the, in, in the, in the hours forward, everyone, absolutely everyone in NBC News, in the Today Show, in the, the broader news media community, everyone knew that Matt Lauer was a rape monster psychopath. And I'm and it's kind of interesting. There's no indication yet that that Matt Lauer did anything towards guys. There's no gay angle on this at all yet. I mean, I suppose it's conceivably possible. But so far, I mean, everything that's been reported is that he was heterosexual. He was totally heterosexual. And I, that's I want to remind everybody that, you know, we're focusing so much on the um, the the homosexuals and, you know, the sodomites and all of this and how sexual perversion, all sexual perversion is derivative of diabolical narcissism. It's it's in a sense good to be reminded that that sexual perversion can, in fact, be completely heterosexual. There are there are species of intense sexual perversion that are, you know, heterosexual, a man on a woman or, or a versa visa. Um, Bill Cosby. So, 
Exactly. Bill Cosby, who had the ne- the necrophiliac fetish, but exclusively for women. Technically, that's heterosexual. Um, so it, 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 we should all remember that there's a, a massive heterosexual dynamo, dynamic in all of this um, diabolical, narcissistic sexual perversion as well, of which Lauer we can now paint as a poster boy. Also Weinstein. There's no indication. I don't think that Weinstein um, ever did anything to dudes, but, you know. Well, there's also no indication yet that he ever tried to um, incarcerate somebody against their will. But in, in that uh, respect, to, to the degree yeah, that I mean, you could not, say not that, to the extent that Lauer did. I, I was going to say to the degree that you could say Lauer was worse than Weinstein. At least Weinstein didn't lock somebody in and and uh, force them to stay there. Now stop and think about the thing with Lauer. Okay, he's got this rape button in in his desk to lock the door. He had to go to somebody sit down in an office and say, look, listen, this is what I want to do. I want to install an electric, a, a custom lock and an electric device in my desk so that I can lock my door. And it ha- it can't be a, a, a lock just to lock to the outside. It has to be a lock that locks on both sides, both the outside and the inside. And somebody in this building where these people work, which I think is Rockefeller Center, you know, someone had to say, yes, okay, let's do this, Matt. I will call a contractor. I will find a contractor who can install this incredibly um, intricate electrical locking system custom built into your desk. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's one thing to say uh, the dude had a rape button in his office and and then just kind of say, man, that's twisted and leave it to that. Think about the logistics that had to go into installing that damn thing. It's not what, a what, kit you can buy at Radio Shack and install on an afternoon. No. I mean, this is, this is a massive custom installation that would have required running running wire and, and all kinds of things. It's absolutely insane. Now, then, then, like 48 hours later, so, well, wait, let's go to the day that Matt Lauer is fired. And the, the, the Chicky Poos, um, who is it? I, 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 you know, I don't watch TV. Um, what's the Chicky Poos name? Savannah Guthrie. And then the, the, the Egyptian lady who um, does, like, the, the stupid postmenopausal hour of the Today Show with Kathy Lee Gifford. They, they drag her on. And they sit there, and these broads are sitting there with these crocodile tears just streaming down their face. Oh, Matt Lauer was fired. We love him so much. Oh, we're just in a state of shock here. And then, and then they roll out um, the black weather man, Al Roker. Al Roker's doing the same damn shtick. Oh, oh why? I just, we're all in a state of such complete shock here for, for our dear friend Matt. Well, we we love and support Matt, but well, we also love and support the brave, the brave woman who came forward with this. Okay, it then comes to light, like 48 hours later, all of these people are completely and totally language alert, full of shit up to their eyebrows. The fact that that Lauer was screwing and sexually assaulting and sometimes even raping just any woman that that he possibly could the fact that this guy was a rape monster psychopath was was the source of 
complete um, comedy and and banter and fodder for all of these people. It was an open secret. They all knew. There even came to light um, footage of, I think they did a roast. They did a roast of Matt Lauer and all of these women, all of these women, Ann Curry, all of them, all of the Katie Couric, all of these people participated in this roast, which was just filthy, 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 dirty about and and all of the jokes about Matt Lauer in this roast of Matt Lauer were about the fact that he was a rape monster psychopath. They all knew. So you've got Lauer who's actually committing these physical crimes of sexual assault, rape, not to mention the fact that he's just cheating on his wife. I mean, let's, let's not discount that this guy has a wife and like two or three children. The wife basically separated herself from him years and years and years ago. Um, and presumably stays married to him because he has agreed to some sort of a an extremely favorable and lucrative financial arrangement with with his wife. Um, I wish we could say that the wife has remained married to Matt Lauer because she respects the sanctity sanctity of marriage. I think I think we can all be grownups and say that is almost certainly not the case that that he has given her a massive financial incentive to not divorce him, at least not yet. Um, so he's committing adultery, he's sexually assaulting, he's absolutely disgusting. All of these women and the, the other men in NBC News, all of them around there, they're totally enabling this guy. They're totally looking the other way, covering for him, or even actively laughing, joking, facilitating, oh, ha, ha, aren't you cute, aren't you funny, who did you screw today, blah, 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 blah. Um, and that, all of those people are betas. They're all beta diabolical narcissists. They have attached themselves to Lauer because Lauer was, he was the golden boy um, at NBC News, certainly on the Today Show in the morning. He's getting paid like $25 million a year, okay? This is the golden boy. They all attach themselves onto him. They will brook no criticism. They will lie to cover for him. Um, and and the, the hypocrisy, the hypocrisy. You guys, with all of these diabolical narcissists, both the alphas and the betas, it isn't just that they're comfortable with the hypocrisy, they get off on it. Because the hypocrisy to them is a manifestation of their eliteness. So you ask, why would all these beta diabolical narcissists you know, ranging from the other quote unquote on air talent, especially all these women and Al Roker, you know, but why? you repeat yourself. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. I was gonna say, but you're, you repeat yourself. Yeah, but I repeat myself. Exactly. <laughs> um, poor Al Roker. <laughs> no, I'm being facetious. No poor anybody in any of this. Um, why would they do this? Because they look to the alpha above them that they've attached to. And for them, it's all about being attached to power, being part of an elite case, an elite clique. And the rules do not apply to them. We've gone over this again and again and again. And the more they can manifest hypocrisy, the more it reinforces to them and they think that it proves 
how above and beyond everyone else they are. So not only does the hypocrisy not bother them, guys, they actually get off on it. They totally, totally get off on it. And then in terms of, again, this whole dynamic of we're part of an elite, whether we're part of the alpha caste or the beta caste and what's basically a mafia, um, look at who the, the, the audience of the Today Show is. It's mostly women. I mean, and you can tell just by watching the show. It's one of the most disgustingly feminine in, in the worst in the worst possible sense. Disgustingly feminine, um, just completely unserious, catering to the American post-Christian, neo-pagan, um, middle-aged, aging, aging baby boomer, aging hippie, that whole caste of women, but who are still, um, who still, a, a lot of them in flyover country, obviously, just because of the, the population of the United States, but who still have a, a, a it can be said, a sort of a conservative aesthetic, um, meaning so they want someone who appears clean cut as Matt Lauer did. Um, they want someone like Matt Lauer who they could imagine being their son or their grandson. Um, and, and Matt Lauer being the, um, the psychopathic um, criminal actor that he was just totally played up to that. And all of these women, too, ooing and aahing and cooing over this golden boy who's there specifically to to um, appeal to these middle-aged and elderly post-Christian women in the United States. And so they look at their audience, these, these very middle-aged and, and elderly post-Christian women, and they hate them. They hold them in contempt. And it's, it's once again, the fact that they're perpetrating this fraud on people, that Matt Lauer is a psychopathic rape monster who's being, who's being passed off as the, you know, the, the quarterback of the football team all grown up, everybody's dream son, everybody's dream grandson. The fact that this guy is a rape monster, sex pervert, psychopath is a joke to Every single one of those people, all those including and most especially all those women. Why? Because it makes them feel like they're elite. It makes them feel like they're better than everybody else. So, you know, it's all about power with these people. It's all about money, the being connected to power. And it doesn't matter how morally degenerated it does not matter how morally degenerated these people are. If they are powerful, if they are famous, um, if they confer status on anyone who associates with them, these people will will allow them to get away. Now we're now we're finding out and seeing literally with murder, with rape, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it's all it's all about this alpha beta dynamic and and yes, it can absolutely be said, this all maps perfectly. And we we had the, the book released, um, when was it? A week ago today in English, The Dictator Pope, this, this uh, book that's just been released and written 
about Bergoglio. Now, I bought it last Monday and read it in my sickbed. There was nothing new in it to me. There were no shocking revelations or anything. It's just, but what it is, it's a really good collection and compendium of um, all, all of this stuff, all of these examples of how it is that Bergoglio is this complete and total fraud who's putting forth this image of being this sweet, um, merciful, kind-hearted, um, easygoing guy. And the truth of the matter is, is the guy is an absolute psycho, complete and total psycho, foul-mouthed, raging, throwing fits. I mean, just petty the only thing it didn't get into any of his um any of the the stuff coming out of argentina about um his problems with the sixth commandment shall we say um the book doesn't get into any of that it doesn't mention gustavo vera or any of that but it it does a really good job of just bringing together everything else and it's a it's a good thing that it's been published because now more and more and more and more people are going to learn the truth about Bergoglio and how it's just all completely a false front facade and the the analog here to Matt Lauer and all of this is that all of these people around Bergoglio in the Vatican they all know what he is they all know what he is. This guy throws fits in the dining room of the Casa Santa Marta. Uh, and, and he does it. He's the, the most famous one he did during the first synod in like 2014 when, you know, a, a group of I think it was 13 cardinals signed a letter that said, you know, we're we're not down. We're not cool with how this this synod is being run. This is this is not following procedure. This is this is not cool and we want to formally go on record as saying that we object to this Bergoglio threw a raging screaming fit and this is covered in the book The Dictator Pope and this went around Rome and all over the world like instantly because dozens and dozens and dozens of people saw it and heard it because he did it right in the dining room of the Casa Santa Marta, screaming, raging, yelling, screaming, raging, and yelling so loudly and so badly that the Swiss guards cleared the dining hall, forced everyone to get up mid-meal and leave. That's how bad it was. And this just goes on all the time. He's, he's a foul-mouthed, disgusting, absolutely disgusting. It isn't, you know... Uh, mea culpa. I, I, I use, you know, words for uh, poo and bovine poo. And people get on me about that and say, you shouldn't do that at all. And I go back and forth because I really want to make, you know, make my point emphatically. And sometimes, including in scripture, you know, scatological references are used to make a, a, an extremely strong point. That That isn't what Bergoglio is. Bergoglio is foul in a in a in a truly a, a disgusting he says things that are disgusting um that that are beyond mere uh profanity or or use of uh extremely uh emphatic metaphors shall we say the guy is absolutely disgusting and almost does it in order to in order to scandalize people because everyone or not everyone, but because a, a very large number of people mistakenly refer to him as the Pope and think he's the Pope, um, he gets off on 
on being just disgusting and foul and rubbing everybody's uh, face in it. And so, you know, it's all a fraud. It's all a sham. And so, you know, the notion and I can't I can't emphasize this enough. These people are surrounded by enablers. What they do and how they behave, there is so much open secret behavior going on. And I mean, at this point, I I really don't understand why it is that people don't understand how these dynamics are happening, because it seems to me at this point in the United States, Everyone has been in in a situation in a workplace, generally a workplace, sometimes in a church, um, in, in a university, something like that, where there is extremely bad behavior going on, be it bad sexual behavior, be it fraud, embezzlement, so on and so forth. Um, and it's an open secret. Everybody knows what's going on. Oh, and, you know, uh, obviously, obviously government, obviously government, all of these congressmen, you know, they're dropping like flies. Everybody knew that that Al Franken was a complete perv. Everyone knew John Conyers was a complete perv. Everyone knows that or knew that Anthony Weiner's a complete perv. Teddy, can I mean, you just go on down the line. These people carry on openly and their beta narcissist case that surrounds them look the at at minimum look the other way and stay silent but most of the time these they have this army of betas who are actively supporting them actively covering for them this is so common now in post western post christian culture i don't understand why it is that people are still still continue to be shocked by this um well, and if the alpha if the alpha uh, narcissist goes down, then the betas are off the gravy train. They're off the gravy train, but remember, um, all alphas start out as betas. And so within the beta case, most of them are content to stay underlings, but every alpha started out as a beta. So I promise you right now, there's someone looking to step into Matt Lauer's role as the golden boy sex pervert in NBC News. I'm, someone is looking, I don't. I have no idea who it is, but someone's looking to do that. Um, I'm sure it was going all si- along, kind of like the, the, the Star Wars thing with the Sith. The, 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 the apprentice is always looking to overthrow the master. I'm right. sure there was, there was an apprentice to Matt Lauer just waiting for the day that he got exposed and fired so he could step in, or she, yet, I don't know, whatever pronoun it wants to use, uh, could step in and take over. And so you could say, who who is that with regards to Bergoglio? Um, candidate number one is Secretary of State Pietro Perelin. Um, and candidate number two, who's really maneuvering right now, is the guy that, that Bergoglio just fired from uh, the CDF, Cardinal Mueller, the German. There And there are so many others, but those, those are the two. Pietro Perelin, it seems to me, though, right now is at the top of the list as the guy who would be maneuvering to get rid of Bergoglio and then step into the void, which, again, speaks to my thesis. You guys, oh, my gosh, you have to be right about your about your base premise and about who is and who is not the pope, because let's say hypothetically you do get rid of Bergoglio. 
something happens and a, a group of cardinals step up and say, look, you've tried to, to promulgate as authentic magisterium, something that is in, in diametrical opposition to the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the Gospels, you're, you're done, you're done. And they either um, coerce him to quote unquote resign or they depose him. I mean, I, I don't think a deposition is ever going to happen, but coerce him to resign, let's say. Okay, if we're not solid about who the Pope is and is not, and you're operating still on a false premise that Bergoglio ever was the Pope, then what happens if you get rid of Bergoglio? You call a conclave, and what do you, you call a faux conclave, another faux conclave, and what do you get? You get another anti-Pope. Um, so at, at, at the very, very minimum, this is why I say, if, if Bergoglio is dead in his soup or is uh, persuaded, coerced into quote-unquote resigning tomorrow— what has to happen is that you have to wait for Ratzinger to die because Ratzinger, I'm morally certain that Ratzinger is the one and only living Pope and has been all along just out of an abundance of caution, just out of common sense. You have to wait for Ratzinger to die so that you can know with absolute certainty that the next conclave that's called is is going to be a valid conclave that elects a valid pope just out of an abundance of caution it's common sense and there's historical precedence for this um where you know some uh, somebody resigned was it this it wasn't the celestine the fifth resignation there was another resignation and there was just people which just weren't sure and so they waited for Pope, whoever it was, to die. There is an historical precedence for this. And if you stop and think about it, it's just common sense. You declare if Ratzinger refuses to, um, to you know, execute his office and administer the church, well, well that's fine. I mean, th it's horrible because he's going to have to repent of that before he dies. And it just becomes, oh, it just becomes almost impossible. Um to, to think that he would have the humility to do that. Anything's possible, but if, if, you, if you just shrug your shoulders and say, oh, well, let's, let's just go ahead and call a conclave. No, 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 no. Because, you know, either there is a pope or there isn't. And if Ratzinger is the pope, and I'm morally certain that, that he is, you can't just go, call, go calling other conclaves. If he wants to not administer his office, I'm sure there's a term for that. Um, um, you could call it would be some sort of a, I don't know, a regency or something like that. But, you know, it, the, the church, the administrative function of the church could carry on with with a pope who's just over here on the side and refuses to do anything. I mean, conceivably, Pius Twelfth was in really, really, really bad shape for the last couple, three years of his papacy. And at the very end, I mean, who knows how long it was where he was non compos mentis or in a coma or whatever. We don't know how many popes in history, you know, these popes stay until they die. How many of them were non compos mentis? How many of them were in comas, were completely unable to administer the church in any way? And yet, the, you know, the administration of the church continues on. On. This, the, it's not, I mean, it's very easy to envision something like that happening, some sort of a regency where, okay, we've got a pope who refuses to do anything administratively, even though he's still alive and even though he, he is compos mentis. Okay, fine. We'll just set up this thing over here and all we'll do is, you know, keep the lights on. You know, we're going to keep the lights on in St. Peter's. 
that's all we'll do. We'll, we'll, we'll keep the, the janitorial staff paid, blah, blah, blah. Um, but again, if you're, if you're wrong on your premise here and it all ties back together, um, you're just going to end up with more disaster. You're going to end up with Pietro Perlin and, um, or, or maybe somebody even worse than that, who, who makes, who makes Bergoglio look uh, good by comparison and could be considerably younger than Bergoglio. Got to get this right, folks. Got to get it right. Well, in American politics, we've had that already. I mean, how many of us looked at uh, Bill Clinton and said, how much worse could it be? And then we saw Barry Obama. Mm -hmm. So it could definitely get worse. Absolutely. And regardless of how bad the di- the the um, the diabolical narcissist is, there is always the the opportunity and grace for conversion. And that uh, yeah. gets me to an email that I wanted to uh, to read real quick yes. to uh, cap mm-hmm. off this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, quote: Many years ago, I was in an adulterous relationship. One day, I decided to go to confession, and after I finished my confession, the priest said, "I can't give you absolution because I don't believe you're going to try to change." What a shock that was to me, and yet it was the shock I needed to change my life. Pray that more priests have courage to lead exactly. souls like this. End, end quote. <laughs> okay, that's the end of the quote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that was not super nerd talking. No, that was yeah, an exactly. email that we received. I wasn't yes. talking about myself. No, this, this is, uh, yeah, something else. But, but uh, yeah, it, it is, it's important to have a good confessor. And, and um, confessors do the, the, is referred to as is a grace greater than the creation of the of the material universe from nothing to bring a soul which is dead and in mortal sin back to the state of grace in the confessional. Wow. And everyone wow. has, if you are in the state of sin, you can be brought back to life with one confession, mm-hmm. but find a good confessor. Don't say, don't find somebody who's going to say, ah, it's not a big deal. Let me give you an absolution say to him Marys or whatever. Find somebody who's going to kick your butt. Mm-hmm. Who's going to challenge you to be the saint that you're supposed to be? And I mentioned earlier, those who have all the difficult crosses, they become the great saints. Well, part of that is find, well, I mean, don't, don't be scrupulous about it, but uh, a good confessor who challenges you to be better and gives you difficult penances when you need it and gives you advice that isn't easy, but what you need, they exist. And if you oh, want to find, nerd. if can, you want to find them, you will. All, can I tie it all back around to the beginning? Get a confessor who will tell you the truth. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And is it any wonder, is it any wonder that anti-Pope Bergoglio is going after exactly this and that he's telling uh, priests that confession should be about the priest, quote unquote, accompanying the person in, um, what do they call it? A a dialogue of encounter to discern with their conscience whether or not they are at peace with their sins or something like that. It is exactly, precisely the opposite of what a priest should be doing in the confessional. No, the priest is it's sitting not- there in the person of Christ as the judge, the eternal judge. Giving giving you the opportunity to get right now, before mm-hmm. you get Plan B eternally, and that's definitely not something you'd want. That's right, and um, 
boy, it, it, it's 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 so terrifying to see these direct attacks coming. And again, it speaks it, it all goes right back to my point about how the actions of anti-Pope Bergoglio with regard to the sacraments, with regards to confession, the sacrament of marriage, now holy orders, certainly the, the sacrament of the altar or the Eucharist, um, everything that he does points to the fact that, that there's no way that this jibes with the promises of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to specifically protect in a supernatural way Peter and Peter's successors. And, you know, a lot of people, I get a lot of emails from people saying, you're so smart. Why are you, why are you Catholic? Why do you see all of this corruption? You talk about the corruption all the time. Why don't you take your own good advice and see when something is so wildly corrupt that it must be wrong and that the Catholic Church must be wrong and bad and evil? It is because the Catholic Church is a supernatural institution. It is a supernatural entity. So you can't take what's going on in government, in media, even in your own interactions with other human beings in your own private personal life, including your family members, as we were talking about earlier. You cannot take any of those things and say this is a direct analog to the church because it's not because the church is a supernatural entity. You have the faith. You have the faith that this is a supernatural entity and therefore there is a different set of rules that applies. You say, well, isn't that convenient? Well, I don't know if convenient is the right word, but it's completely and totally necessary. It's the differentiation between the people who are running the organization and the organization itself. The people are sinners. The, yes. the church is the indefectible and holy body of Christ, Spotless. H-O-L-Y, Spotless. not H-W-H. Uh, that, yeah, I mean, that's another thing that I think a lot of people, especially Protestants, simply cannot get their head around, is that, you know, I can sit here, you, all these other people, we can sit around and we can, we can document this massive, just satanic corruption that's going on amongst these people that have infiltrated the church. And then we turn around in an exactly the same breath without any hesitation, without any sense of irony whatsoever. We say with, with complete and total earnestness that the one holy Catholic and apostolic church is the spotless and indefectible bride of Christ spotless it, it cannot teach error. It cannot be an error. And I think a lot of people listen to that and say, these people are crazy. Talk about violating the principle of non-contradiction. Talk about being, you know, completely holding two contradictory um, ideas in, in your mind at exactly the same time. And, and I'm telling you folks, especially you Protestants listening, what you are missing and what Protestantism, Lutheran, Lutheranism explicitly denies is the supernatural nature of the church. Um, that's what Freemasonry, it's all geared to completely uh, eliminate from the minds of men any notion or belief in the church as a supernatural institution, as a supernatural paradigm. Well, it's it an, is it's the, an eternal paradigm. And in eternity, we will only have the church triumphant. Right. While there is time, we have the church militant and the church suffering, which is uh, purgatory, purgatory and everyone yeah. here walking around and breathing and having opinions here on earth. 
And the people who are part of the mystical body of Christ in the church militant, the people who are alive, you've got no guarantees whatsoever that you're going to be in the church triumphant. Right. That's, that's, that's the entire goal. That's why God made you. That is the reason, you know, what's the meaning of life? Um, so you can spend all of eternity in the church triumphant, which actually indwells inside the Holy Trinity, pondering God from the inside out, as our Lord said in the Gospels, Lord, let them be one as you and I are one, Father, as you and I are one. So what what that literally means is what heaven is, is indwelling inside of the triune Godhead, pondering God from the inside. What's the meaning of life? That's the meaning of life. And why maybe, do you exist? That's why you exist. Maybe another way to think about this too is is that, you know, those of us who are still alive, church militant, this is the selection process for who's going to make it to the church triumphant. In the same mm-hmm. sense that if you look at uh, groups like the Navy SEALs, they have a selection process to see who's going who's gonna to eventually put on that gold trident. And 80 to 90% of the people who try out don't make it. And we have, we have you know, a testimony from many doctors of the church who say the greater number of Christians, and these are, they're talking about people in union with Rome, do yeah. not make it to heaven. Yeah. So just and because I, you're I posted, a Catholic guarantees you nothing but a harsher judgment. Yeah, exactly. Um, I posted a um, a very long piece while I was sick. It was like 7,700 words, but it spoke exactly to that on, on the, the very few number of those who are in fact saved. And that was written by, remind me, who was that written by while I'm pulling it up? That was written by... Either oh, Augustine remember. or... The moral doctor is my guess. Hold on. Let me pull it up here. There's Santa Claus. Got to be getting close. I didn't post very much while I was sick. Lady Gogeta. Um, oh, St. Leonard of Port Morris. Of course. Of course. The little number of those who are saved. Full text by St. Leonard of Port Morris. Um, you know, it's 7,700 words. It's pretty long, but it's just... <laughs> It's a treasure trove, and the the point that that St. Leonard keeps making over and over and over again is, yes, a, a very few number are saved, but it is the free choice of every single human being to not be saved. God is not a jerk. God does not create anyone damned, and God makes available to every single human being without exception, without exception, grace sufficient, available to the person to achieve the beatific vision. No human being is created by God, predestined, set in stone, inescapably to be damned. Every single human being could be saved. The problem is, is that because of the fall, concupiscence, pride, et cetera, et cetera, the vast, vast, vast majority of human beings freely choose not to be saved. They freely choose to be damned. They reject God in the natural law, in the church, et cetera, et cetera. And it's a really, really good read. And it's why St. Paul says, um, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Um, this, this notion of cheap grace that is so pervasive in the, in the, you know, especially the American Protestant milieu, once saved, always saved, all of these heresies, they are so evil, they are so satanic. Work out your salvation in fear and trembling. Absolutely. And while that is a 
slightly negative or dour uh, note, it's also the hopeful one because if you do mm-hmm. work out your your salvation and fear and trembling, if you do find a good confessor, then you will get the good message. Come with me, chosen. <laughs> I should know the words <laughs> of this one. I'm more I'm more concentrating on not hearing the other one. Um, oh, you're Catholic. You're not supposed to know the scriptures. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> okay, moving right along. Uh, reminder, little joke, every, little joke. <laughs> every Monday through Thursday, there's a mass offered for Anne's benefactors. And once a week, there's a requiem mass offered for all souls who died during the previous week. Please remember to join your intentions with these masses. And also, please pray for the priests as well. Uh, if you Father fe- Monday and Father Tuesday are both deployed guys, so especially remember them in your purse. They are putting the militant and church militant. Mm, mm. Feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, ideas for who might have caused the uh, distributed denial of service attack. Email address is podcast at barnhart.biz. This podcast is produced by Super Nerd Media. I would like to thank recent donors Teresa with an H, Diane, both of whom who donated via PayPal, and William, Anonymous, and Richard who mailed in a check. Thank you very much for your generosity. It's probably going to be put to use for... Um, <laughs> Other 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 hosting plans and, and mm. uh, avoiding attacks and, and other contingencies. If you'd like to find out more about this, you can visit supernerdmedia.com uh, and there's a donate button over there. Also, there's the Matthew 1720 initiative. I don't have the notes in front of me. You can remind everyone what that is. My version of the Matthew 1720 initiative is that the that Bergoglio be publicly acknowledged and removed as anti-pope, that Ratzinger be public, publicly acknowledged as the one and only living pope and has been all along, that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace and achieve the beatific vision, and that Ratzinger repent of what he has done die in a state of grace and achieve the beatific vision. That's my prayer ev- multiple times a day. Every single day, and I fast, and I'm fasting um, twice a week. Mostly, I fast on Tuesdays and Fridays. But as you know, logistics company, something happens, whatever. I, I do move it around, but I'm generally managing to to full fast um, at least two days a week because, as our Lord said, only prayer and fasting will get that kind out. And if you don't remember all those specific details, just remember when you in, in your prayer intentions or when you're offering up something, just say, "Lord, this is for the Matthew seventeen twenty initiative." God's perfect; he's he's uh, he knows everything, and he'll know what you mean by that. Uh, he'll know, and and I'll also I'll also put a, a caveat in there. Um, if I am mistaken, if I am mistaken, um, Saint Vincent Ferrer. Um, was also mistaken about who the Pope was uh, back in the day. St. Catherine of Siena was right. St. Vincent Ferrer was wrong. If I am mistaken, I think that if you're praying for just the situation to be resolved, um, that the goodwill behind that, the love for the church, the love for your fellow man, um, that that all will count. Now, obviously, I don't think I'm mistaken. It would be insane for someone to do something that they believe to be wrong. But I, I also acknowledge the fact that it, I, I really don't think I'm mistaken, but it, it's possible. Um, but I, I'm confident that if you're praying in goodwill for the church and, and just that this clearly horrific situation be resolved and that you're fasting and praying for that, um, that, you know, Our Lady is the mediatrix of graces and, and, and our Lord, obviously, as, as God Almighty himself, he can, you know, maneuver and flanagle all of that as, as need be. But, folks, 
I'm morally certain. Um, so that that's my prayer. And either way, guy can write straight with crooked lines. Yep. And so we pray, <laughs> we do our part, and leave the rest up to him. Yep. And until next week or tomorrow or never, I don't know. <laughs> until next time. <laughs> until next time. What I you am talking super about, nerd. super nerd? <laughs> <laughs> until next time, I'm super nerd. And I'm Ann. Thank you so much, guys, and God bless. <laughs> <laughs>